So today, uh, David Mickelson will be ministering the, the Word. He's a very gifted teacher of the Word of God. Very, very, we very much enjoy his communication style. He's got some real truth. You'll hear God's voice on David's voice today as he talks about uh, means of grace. It's kind of a series that we've started a couple Sundays ago and kind of morphed into it or slipped into it, uh, talked about God's grace, undeserved favor through, through the presence of Christ in his body and his, uh, and his in communion. And then, um, and then uh, Pastor Steve Philo spoke so well last week on, on the means of grace of repentance. And David's going to continue that today. So give David a warm welcome as he comes and shares today. Thank you, everybody. Good to see everyone. Boy, we love Miguel and Rosa, don't we? Yeah. And we love Chris and Jason. Yeah, you know, we have a, a lot of churches in America where people act like Jesus people on Sunday morning, then they go out into the world and they act like world people. I think at New Song we have people who act like Jesus people on Sunday morning and then Jesus maniacs out there the rest of the week, and in a good way. And we're, we're going out and we're just like wrecking balls destroying what the enemy is trying to do like jesus was the ultimate wrecking ball he came to kill he came to destroy the works of the enemy and we get to walk in those same footsteps so you guys know uh i wear many hats in this church so to speak actually it's just it's just one baseball cap that i probably shouldn't wear so much because i think it's having an effect right here but <laughs> metaphorically i wear many hats before i get into that i just want to start with my anchor verse for uh first corinthians 2 4 Paul says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Whew, that takes the pressure off. <laughs> but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So that's my anchor verse, and I had that on page three, and I thought to myself, why is my first Bible verse on page three? I better bring it up to the front. So sometimes here at New Song, I'm preaching or editing t videos for TV, and I feel like, you know, I'm doing pretty well in life. And then other times I'm vacuuming out the vans or picking cigarette butts up out of the bark dust. And there's nothing more humbling than picking cigarette butts up out of the bark dust. So if anyone here needs work on the area of humility, come by the church sometime and I'll, I'll set you up. So Thursdays is a day during the week where both my dad and I are in the office. And it's kind of fun to both be there working in the office. And it creates an interesting dynamic. He actually gives me a list. I don't know if anybody knows that. He has a clipboard and there's a list and I have to go down. These are all my special projects for the week that I have to do in addition to all my regular work. And we get to sit down. He loves talking through my list with me. Now I want you to do this. Okay, then I want you to do that. Then after that, do this. Make sure you don't forget to get that done. But you have to have that done too and so on and so forth. And then the list goes over to the next page. It's a lot of fun. It's a great, it's a great time. So I've learned kind of the hard way, that if I get my list done too quickly and too well, then my reward the next week is it gets longer, it grows. You talk about spiritual growth, this is like instant growth. On the other hand, if I take too long and the same item is on the list week after week, then I have to have a sit down with the senior pastor and I have to account for my time. I have to give an account, sort of like the day of judgment or maybe scaled down a little bit. You buried your talent, you wicked servant. It's never quite spoken out loud. So I'm 
I'm working on learning to not be too good as a personal assistant, but not be too bad. Just, I want to get a t-shirt that says, world's okayest personal assistant. <laughs> so on Thursdays, I have my list, and I'm pretty goal-oriented, so I'm thinking about getting my list done. But my dad is also in the room, and sometimes, if he's in the mood, he likes to talk. He likes to talk to me about his fishing. He likes to talk to me about his motorcycle. He likes to share his latest vision for the church. And it's always good stuff. But I'm sitting there like, okay, you're sharing your vision w- for the church with me, but I'm just trying to make sure we don't run out of toilet paper this week. And it's hard for me to shift gears back and forth between talking and getting my list done back and forth. But you do it, you know. He's the boss. And so a couple weeks ago, he wanted to ask me, what, are, what do you think about means of grace? And I was working on something, and you know, I was irritated by something. It wasn't going right. It's just like, okay. He, he couldn't see me, so he didn't see me go. All right, so I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to shift out of get my list done gear, and I'm going to put it into talk, talk to dad gear. And we'll have this conversation. Okay, so means of grace. What do you mean by means of grace, dad? And I, didn't, I hadn't even thought about the phrase. I think I've read the phrase once or twice. But we had a great conversation. And actually, in hindsight, I should have had a good attitude because I think a lot of people would love to have a boss who interrupts your work to talk theology, to talk about the things of God. It's actually pretty cool. But I still have to get the list done, so it doesn't really help. (laughs) So I got into researching this and looking into it more, and I realized it's actually a pretty important topic. And some of the classical statements of theology in the Protestant church have addressed this question. For instance, the Westminster Catechism says... The means of grace, it says, they are the means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. The benefits of redemption. So this is a pretty important topic. How does Christ communicate to us the benefits of redemption? And they say it's through the word, sacraments, that's baptism and communion, and through prayer. That's in the Westminster Confession, that's the Anglican Church, how they say God communicates grace to us, and the Lutheran Church, and Presbyterian Church, they all have the same list. It's the Word, Prayer, and the Sacraments. And I've been reading theological journals and various blogs and the writings of the various reformers on this topic, and I love their writings. I don't want anyone to think I'm criticizing Martin Luther or John Calvin. I actually love their 500-year-old things that they write, but they just pop off the page just for today, like you're reading... Uh, St. Augustine, who was you're talking 1,600 years ago, but it's so relevant for today. St. Augustine is struggling with sin and struggling with temptation, and it's from 400 A.D. And it's just like, you know, the human race hasn't changed that much in 1,600 years. So Martin Luther would, for instance, he stood before kings and bishops who were threatening, threatening to excommunicate him and to actually have him burned at the stake and if he didn't stop preaching salvation through faith instead of salvation through works. And he said, here I stand, I can do no other, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. So here's a hero of the faith, and if you believe you're saved through faith, not by works, you probably have an influence, whether you know it or not, by Martin Luther and by John Calvin and some of these people. When I went to England a few years back, I got to stand in the very spot where someone named Thomas Cranmer actually was burned at the stake by Queen Mary, Bloody Mary. It's not just a drink, it's a a person. For being a... For being a believer in salvation through faith and an English translation of the Bible instead of just having the Bible in Latin. That was enough to get him burned at the stake. And it was very moving to stand in that spot. So I have a huge reverence for these, these Protestant reformers from 500 years ago. But I notice in all their writings, they never mention as a means of grace the gifts of the Spirit. 
And so the first thing that I read, that, that I thought when I read prayer and the word and the sacraments is, what about the gift of prophecy? <laughs> what about, does, does Christ not still communicate his grace to us through a prophecy today or through a healing or through a word of knowledge? What about a Holy Spirit baptism? You know, the, the lady that Chris and Jason met who didn't believe the Holy Spirit was for today, and she was baptized in the Spirit and was overwhelmed by the presence of God. Did she not receive a means of grace in that moment? And so I think that I just, I just read Martin Luther talk about how uh, the gifts of the Spirit were for the first century church, but once we had the Bible finished and completed, that it's different now, and it's not the same, it's not the same way that the Holy Spirit works through us, and it's more of a... Uh, understated. You don't, you don't see the overt miracles anymore. It's just kind of a quiet, a quiet character building process. And there is that with the Holy Spirit. Anyone who gets up every day and, and does life well knows you need the Holy Spirit to do that. But where in the Bible does it say that God stopped doing the big miracles and, and showing up in a powerful way? I don't see it. And so I want to talk about what I see as the fourth wheel on that car. You have prayer, which is crucial. All these wheels are crucial. You have The Word, we'd be lost without the Word. You have the sacraments, which mystically communicate God to us in ways that we don't understand but we love. And you have the gifts of the Spirit, which I see, and I think all of you agree, is a fourth means of grace by which God communicates Himself to us. So, let's get into this. You know, I've been thinking a lot about America and what I see going on in the culture. And I wonder... How we lost the culture as a church. How, how did the culture fall so far that sometimes it feels like, have you ever felt like you're a lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah and looking around you and feeling like you're troubled by what you see the way he was troubled by what he saw? How did the church lose the culture? You know, if you look back at TV shows back in the 50s, they honored faith. The way they portrayed pastors was honorable. And if you see pastors today, it's always a joke. They're either like psychopaths or clowns. And, you know, there was a lot of um, decency. They had a lot of problems back then, too. Don't get me wrong. But there was um, a cleaner culture, as you all know. And even in schools, they taught prayer and Bible. Kids memorized Bible verses, right, in American schools in the 1950s and earlier. And now look at what they're learning. I know um, from a friend that third grade teachers in Medford are required to teach that gender is a state of mind and you can choose your gender. They have to teach that to third graders. You choose your gender instead of gender being something that God gave you. And it's a precious gift. It's given by God. And it's, it's a fact. You are the way he made you. So to, to my anchor verse, speaking of the culture, 1 Corinthians 2.4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You know, first century Corinth was a pagan city. Just like America today, they had witchcraft, atheism, they had idolatry, they had everything that we have today, a lot of sexual immorality. And Paul didn't go there and try to teach them with dusty old theology books and with catechisms and, and with just you know, persuasive words. He, he knew that would be pointless. They wouldn't listen. He knew he had to have a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And in modern America today, this generation of young people are not going to be persuaded by mere words. There's the media out there, there's movies, there's a lot of competing voices. And just like Paul in the first century, we need a demonstration of power to win this generation. It's not going to happen without miracles, it's not going to happen without the Holy Spirit. But it's not going to happen without the church. The Lord loves to work through his people. And so there's a call on all of us 
to be Holy Spirit people and to operate through that fourth wheel, the, the means of grace of the gifts of the Spirit. And it's crucial to saving the culture. Okay, I'm assuming that silence is a very silent amen. From, you're all in deep thought. Okay. I think when the world realizes, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. The world is going to realize that within the walls of the church, people are getting healed. They're going to realize that, and out on the streets, by the way, as well. They're going to realize that people are getting baptized by the Spirit, and that, like the woman at the well, when she got a word of knowledge from Jesus and the whole village got saved, they're going to realize that within the walls of the church, something is happening. And through the church, out on the street, something is happening. I think we're going to see celebrities getting blasted by the Spirit. There's going to be, be people getting up out of wheelchairs on TV, live cameras. You know, the enemy is not going to be able to silence what God is going to do. And the world is going to finally sit up and start paying attention to what's going on in the church when they see that the Holy Spirit is moving through us and through you. Because this isn't someone else. This is through you. This isn't going to be through some famous person somewhere else. It's you. It's supposed to be. So what are we to do about this? What's our job as we live in expectation of being used in this way? I want to go through three quick points here. Looks like I have a little bit of time left. And the first point, I want, before I get to the first point, actually, I want to ask you a question. You don't have to say it out loud. This is a personal question. If you could see any miracle done in your life, what would it be? If you could think of any miracle and you knew that God was going to give you that miracle right now, just get that in the forefront of your mind. Now, what are we to do through this means of grace, the gifts of the Spirit? One, we press in for our miracle. We press in for that miracle that you were just thinking right now. We press in in faith and in hope. Hope is not just a fool's false optimism. Hope is the confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises to you. Because you have a promise. It's like a, a promissory note means this is going to happen. You're going to get this. You have that from the Lord. And so you know it's going to happen. And you live in the confident expectation that it will happen. That's hope. It's very rational to hope. It's very rational to live in expectation of your miracle. And I see Jack and Susan here. I, I mentioned last night that Jack's sister, Deborah, uh, was told by the doctors that she was going blind. And she had her eyes mapped out by OHSU. And they said, here's the damage. We, can, we, we mapped it out. This is the pathways of the damage done to your eyes through high blood pressure. Or I forgot what it was. But she started declaring, based on advice she got, encouragement she got from her family, I am the healed one. I did not receive this report. And she went into a different doctor. And he looked at her eyes and said, you have no damage to your eyes and you never have had any damage to your eyes those were false those were false diagnoses and she said actually you know i've had that diagnosis from five different optometrists and he said no they were all wrong <laughs> he wouldn't believe that she was healed at least as of from what i know maybe he does now but she said no i did have that but i agree with you that i don't have it now because jesus healed me and it came through the confident expectation of the promise her hope and her pressing into what she was told would happen. Does God want to heal you? Yes. Exodus 15, 26, I am the God who heals you. When God makes an identity statement about who he is, not just what he does, but who he is, I am the God who heals you. Amen. 
It's like you can do a job, and that's just what you do. Or you can be that thing. I am this. And God just doesn't do it. He is that. And he said that if you pray for anything according to his will, he will give you what you ask for. So he does want to heal you, and he will heal you. But you might not see it right away. You might not get healed the instant you're prayed for. And that's where he wants to take you through a process of believing for it and hoping for it. And you'll get it. Uh, I want to ask if anyone here, you don't have to raise your hand. If when, when I said what's the one miracle you would, you would like to receive if you um, were thinking of a lost loved one. Someone that you love in your family and you were, okay, a few people. And, you know, that's on a lot of people's hearts. And it's a very important thing to be, you know, God put that on your heart. And here's my question to you on that. Do you have a promise? Does God, is it his will for them to get saved? He said in Second, oh, 1 Timothy 2.3, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Will he give you what you ask for? If you ask according to his will, is it his will? Okay, you have a promise. Hope is the confident expectation that promise will come true. So we as a church need to be pressing in for our miracle. Pressing in with faith and hope that God is going to do it. Because we can't be out telling the world, guess what? We have the Holy Spirit in our church and we have miracles when we're not even believing for our miracle. We need to be believing for our miracle and then we can testify. It's not just a claim that we're making. It's a testimony. And that's where so much power can be found. By the way, on the healing... When we get baptized, we don't baptize ourselves, right? We let someone else do it. When I, the one thing I've ever needed to get healed of, I wish there was more because I love healing testimonies, but it's just the one thing. It was acid reflux, and God wouldn't heal me just praying for myself. I prayed for myself. I declared, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And he kept saying, go to the healing rooms. And I kept saying, no, I can just do this myself. I'm just going to pray. I have faith. You have to do it. I guess he doesn't have to do what I tell him. <laughs> so... Finally, I went into the healing rooms, and it was just done, just like that. And they gave me a bunch of words about what I was doing wrong, <laughs> drinking too much soda, stuff like that. Oh, whoops. So, um, it was, he wanted me to go in and have that conversation, right? So, when you are believing for something, it's okay to ask people for prayer. It's okay to include the rest of the body. God wants you not to have to bear that alone. The only one who wants you to bear that alone is who? Okay, you know who. God wants to heal you. God wants to give you a word. Are you confused about something? God wants to talk to you. You know, God's always talking. Who talks more in the Bible than anybody else? God's the biggest character in the Bible. He talks throughout the whole Bible. He's like a chatterbox. He's talking to you. And we need to take the time to listen. He will tell you the answer to what you're wondering. He will give you the solution. He will impart wisdom to you. He is even willing to give you words of knowledge, which feels like cheating. It's just like knowledge just goes straight into your brain. Like, oh, now I know. It's like in the Matrix when he, down, he downloads how to fly a helicopter right into his brain. So God will give you that word, and it's real. I've gotten a word, like, oh, suddenly I know how to do that. It's amazing. We need to be pressing in for our miracle, right? Okay, so the first point was about pressing in, and that was about uh, benefiting from the gifts of others. And the second point about this means of grace, the gifts of the Spirit, is for your own giftedness. Do you know that you're gifted? Trying to look at everybody. You're gifted. 
Awkward eye contact. It's my favorite. So let me ask you a similar question to the last one. If there was one gift you'd love to excel in and just be amazingly anointed in, what would that one gift be? Just let that gift be in the forefront of your mind. What would it be? Could be prophecy, could be evangelism, could be healing, could be generosity, could be helps. If it's helps, please see the pastor. If fear had no hold on you and failure was not a possibility, what would you like to do in the kingdom? So the question I I have is, what should we do to see that God-given desire realized? Because God gives us the desires that we have to be used in the kingdom. What do we need to do? And I want to throw this out there to you for your consideration. That the way to get more of anything from God is to be grateful for what you already have. Gratitude is overlooked, but it's all through the Bible. Once you start looking for it, you can't stop seeing it in the Bible. Matthew 13, 12, Jesus says that to the one who has more will be given. This is a spiritual principle, and it applies across the board, including with the gifts. If you have faith, more will be given. If you have generosity, God will give you more to give away. And if you desire righteousness, he says you will be filled. You get more. So with the question of your anointing and your giftedness. If you have gratitude for what you already have, then God is free to pour in more of that thing. I used to be bothered by this verse. I used to feel like God was taking a big pile of poker chips and giving more poker chips to the person who already had this huge pile. And then he takes away the poker chips from this person who has a little tiny pile. Because he says, those who have not, even what they have gets taken away. And I say, God, that's not fair. You should take from the person who has more and give it to the one who has less so that then it'll be equal. And God's like, what are you, a communist? (laughs) No. God, he didn't really say that to me. He could have. God can do whatever he wants. He likes to tell me that. He can can give to whoever he wants. He's going to give to the person who's using their gift well and who is grateful for what they have. He's not going to give to someone who isn't even grateful for what they have because they won't be grateful for the next thing. If you're not grateful for what you have now, you won't be grateful for the next thing. If you're sitting around waiting for some good thing and then you'll be grateful, guess what? When you get that thing, you still won't be grateful. It'll be the same state of mind, the same character, the same heart. So that's the way it works. Psalm 104 says we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. You know, gates separate the inner from the outer. So there's a way we can live where we can be within the inner courts of the Lord. And the way we get into that inner place is with thanksgiving in our hearts. Or we can stay outside. And, you know, God is everywhere, but we can live in such a way where we are not in the manifest presence. We're not feeling and experiencing it. And on the outside are those who aren't grateful. You know, ungrateful believers are the ones who get burnt out and leap into sin. Grateful believers are grateful for what they have and they don't fall into sin. Gratitude makes a big difference in whether or not we choose the kingdom or whether we choose to rebel. Um, Ungrateful people rob banks and commit crimes. They're not satisfied and they commit crimes. But grateful people don't rob banks. They're grateful for what they have. Gratitude makes a huge difference in our lives. And it works with money too. When you're grateful for what you have, the Lord can pour in more. It's a great spiritual principle to apply across the board. So let's start thanking Him for what we have and watch for what God does. If you want to prophesy like 
I don't know, who's a famous prophet? Sean Boltz. Be grateful for the word of knowledge that you got or the prophecy that you got that no one saw. It was just between you and one other person and you didn't get any fame or glory for it. Be grateful for that. And the Lord can start pouring in more. If you want to heal like Miguel and Rosa, you know, we had a leg grow out two weeks ago, right in front of all of us up here on the stage. Someone's leg grew out. And now they walk evenly and their backs stopped hurting. Be grateful for when you prayed for your own headache to go away and it went away. And that, you know, that's a gift of healing. That's a miracle. And the Lord will start pouring in more. I guess Miguel got to where he is today because he was grateful for what he had step by step along the way. And we can be like that as well. But gratitude is crucial. I feel like when I talk about gratitude, sometimes people just let it bounce off because it doesn't seem important. It's important. It'll change your life. So please don't let this point just slip over your head. Why are grateful people so strong in their giftedness? Every strong person who operates powerfully in a gift is grateful. Why are they so strong in their giftedness? Because thankfulness leads to joy. And in the kingdom, joy equals strength, doesn't it? Joy equals strength. Paul said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Is can be changed to equals in algebra. Joy equals strength. You know, the book of the Bible that mentions gratitude the most is the Psalms. It's all through the Psalms. David wrote about half of those Psalms. And that gratitude saw him move from the sheep field to the palace. And all along the way, he had trouble. And all along the way, he fought. You see it in the Psalms. You see him struggle with, why? Why, Lord? And he always works it back to gratitude. And then he moves on to the next promotion. Shepherd, warrior, general, king of Judah, king of Israel, step by step. And then ingratitude messed it up for him. He wasn't grateful for the wives he had. He wanted someone else's wife. So it goes the other way too. All right. I love it when you're really quiet because it means something's (laughs) happening. More, Lord. (laughs) A third point with regard to this means of grace, the the gifts of the Spirit. It's better to give than to receive. If you've ever received someone's gift and they, you know, you got a healing through someone's prayer or you got an accurate word or baptism of the Spirit, it's wonderful, isn't it? But it's even more wonderful for you to be the one whose gift is being used to bless someone else. When it comes to the gifts, it's better to give than to receive. It's so satisfying. It's so wonderful and it's so joyous to be used by the Lord and to use your gifts especially. So let me ask you a third question. Don't worry, this one's not much of a thinker. What does the world say is the point of life? What do they say? I just want to be happy. Do what makes you happy. You know, we had a men's breakfast this morning. And my plan when we first put the men's breakfast on the calendar was, I'm going to show up early and I'm going to cook bacon. Because sometimes they don't have bacon, and I want to make sure there's bacon at this minute. I want it to be good. That was my plan. And then I realized my dad put me on the schedule to preach, and I had to, you know, you're supposed to, like, get in the prayer room and get anointed and get the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to go and cook, fry up breakfast when I have to preach. So I, oh, darn, you know, there's not going to be bacon. And then there was. There was a whole huge thing of it, and they put it in the gravy, too. And it was just so anointed. It was such an anointed breakfast. It was such a revival breakfast. And 
I had this thought the other day cooking bacon. Corey's getting grossed out. He hates bacon. We had this debate earlier. He's sitting there with this Ugh, look on his face. Okay. Turn it, don't look at Corey. Okay. We had this, sorry. I'm just <laughs> we had this, uh, so we had this great breakfast. But the other day I was cooking bacon and I had this thought, how could something so majestic come from such a disgusting animal? Have you ever seen a, a real pig? How gr- they smell, you can smell them from like a block away. They're just, they're just terrible animals. But then the Lord takes that and turns it into something so anointed. And pigs are gross. So, you know, happiness. If the point of life is happiness, let me ask you this. Because people say the point of life is happiness. Would you rather be an unhappy person or a happy pig? Seriously, because the point of life is happiness. So if you could push a button as an unhappy person, you could push a button and you suddenly become, you're happy. You're just the happiest, contented, you're wallowing in your own happiness. But, but you're a pig. Would anybody push that button? I don't think a person here would put, you'd rather be an unhappy person than a happy pig. So the point of life is not happiness, is it? It's not. Okay, I've made my point. So what is the point of life if it's not happiness? Because it's not. The point of life is to love God and love others. That's how we become satisfied. If you're pursuing your own happiness, you're living like a pig, and you're wallowing in your own selfish lifestyle, and you won't end up being any more content than a pig is. It's not going to work. And I know that's what the world says, that's what they do, but they make themselves spiritual pigs when we were meant to be like the angels. So we were meant for something so much more, so much higher, so much deeper. We were meant for true satisfaction. And the only way to be truly satisfied is through using your gifts to love God and love others. And we know that. People instinctively, people know that. I'm going to mention Jack Boger one more time. He didn't know what he was getting into when he came in this morning. He told me a dream about six months ago or a year ago that he had. I don't know if you remember this, Jack, but it was a dream where someone died and went to be with Jesus. And this person was saved. They met the Lord and they were going to get to go to heaven. It was good and wonderful to meet the Lord. And Jesus met the person and was very loving. But in addition to loving the person, this man, Jesus did truthfully tell the man, I had so much more for you. Do you remember that? I had so much more for you. And in the dream, Jack saw the man fall on the ground overwhelmed by a sense of what could have been. We need to use our gifts so that we can have an opposite of that experience when we meet Jesus. When he says, well done, good and faithful servant. What's the opposite of falling on the ground in dismay? It's going to be leaping. It's going to be jumping up for joy. And we get that by using our gifts. And we get joy now in this life. You need to know what your gifts are, and we need to be deliberate about using them. And that's how we're going to change the culture. That's how we're going to change Medford and Eagle Point and Phoenix and the whole Rogue Valley and Oregon. Do you think Oregon needs some change? You know, your fellow believers in the world, pre-believers out in the world, God created the universe in such a way where your gifts are very important to their lives. And their gifts are important to your life. God created the universe so that you will not be content wallowing in the pursuit of your own happiness. You will only be content loving God and loving others. And I want to compliment so many people in this church for what I see 
going on in your lives. But we need more. Why not? <laughs> so if you use, if we think about these means of grace, as, uh, the gifts of the Spirit as one of them, and they are, then since the means of grace, everyone has always agreed, are the ways Christ not just communicates knowledge about himself, or words about himself, but he actually communicates himself through the word. He communicates himself through prayer. He communicates himself through the sacraments. And he communicates himself through the gifts of the Spirit. And when you use your gifts to bless others and to bless yourself, then you are actually communicating Christ himself to those around you. That's a great thought. So think about that and don't be afraid. Amen. Let's stand up. Very important truths, means of grace, our, our gifts, our callings. Let's just bless our own lives and together with what God's called us to do. Remember, uh, when I came to Christ, my, I kept asking my sister, who was a couple years younger than me, if she'd made any important decisions lately. And she'd always say no. Then one day she said, yes, I accepted Christ into my life. And I said, what happened? She said, I had a dream that Jesus came back and I, I didn't go with him. And so I, in the morning I woke up glad to be alive and I prayed to be saved. Have you ever had a dream about Jesus coming back? I had a dream once about Jesus coming back and the over, over, overwhelming thought I had was, man, I wish I would have told more people about this. It wasn't like guilt. It was just like, huh, I know I'm in for some amazing stuff ahead here in heaven. I just wish I would have told more people. And that was what my, one of my gifts is soul winning. So I, I never forgot that. I think about it often, that dream I had. I wonder what your talents and gifts are. Do you know that your, your gifts and your talents, as David was, spoke so well, are a means of God's undeserved favor to others. They impart not just stuff about Christ, but Christ Jesus and his resurrection presence to others. And also to yourself as you release, release those gifts to others. You get blasted with more of Jesus yourself. It's beautiful, beautiful plan that God has. So right now we bless our gifts, our callings, our directions what you lead us to do. May the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to guide us increasingly to areas where we can fully celebrate who we are in God with reference to other people. Oh God, thank you for the means of grace which are your spiritual gifts, your wonderful Jesus gifts to us. We praise you that they thrive in this, the culture of this church and that you're gonna cause it to happen more and more and more as we participate and align ourselves with your desires and will for our lives. So we commit ourselves to it and thank you for this refreshment, this refreshing word about the power, the potency of the gifts as a means of grace to ourselves and others. We bless you, God, we love you.
In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. And have a very, very good rest of your day and week. Amen. See you next time.